Hey, Crosswalk. It's Thursday of a week of this week. Um, I preached a sermon on Wednesday as our capital was being assaulted and um, had written the sermon earlier. And just, you know, our country is heavy on my heart, as I'm sure it's heavy on your heart as well. And as followers of Christ, there's ways that we need to do things. There's ways that we need to honor the name of Jesus. And in times of real division and in times of real unrest, one of the things that we need to do is make sure that we are submitting to God first. Because as you become a Christian, you take on a dual citizenship. And one of those citizenships is the citizenship of heaven. That becomes your family. That becomes your, your tribe. That becomes your country, as well as the places where we live. My prayer today, and we will pray together, but my prayer today is that as a nation, we can begin to heal. And there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of opinion. I get that. I feel very much of it the same. But we serve a higher purpose. God has placed us on this earth to be the people who show compassion, the people who show mercy, who show reason in the way that we interact with one another and that we show what is best about humanity because that's what God has saved us for. I understand these are difficult times. But today, as we begin the sermon, I'm just going to pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for you. Hope that you're praying for us. And know that no healing can begin unless we submit ourselves to God first. Because he is the one who can heal. And as we dig out of this, nationally and even in our communities, We've got to be people who commit to moving forward in grace. That's what we're committed to here. That's what I believe we have to be committed to as followers of no pundits, followers of no politicians, but as followers of Christ. Let him be the one who informs how we respond, how we reach out and how we heal. Let's bow our heads. God of grace. And it is a grace that we need today. It is a hope that needs to be instilled within us. Lord, watching yesterday, I was brokenhearted, as you were too. Lord, may we as a country begin to heal, begin to find our anchor points, those places that we look to, that we can move forward towards grace, towards hope. And Lord, as we move forward, maybe a millimeter at a, at a moment, may we sense your presence. May we find courage And Lord, may our anger subside 
as we continue to seek that which is righteous and holy in you. Lord, give us clear heads to think, not to be confused by conspiracy and all the other things that are out there. Give us good sources to listen to. And Lord, when everything seems to be too much, drive us back to scripture where we see you reveal. Lord, we have hope for 2021. So carry us through and be with us as we open the word today. In your name I pray, amen. And Crosswalk, I do want to thank you. Regardless of everything that's going on, what, what you have meant as a congregation to our staff, to our leadership has been incredible. And I just wanted to report that we were able to end the year um, not just covering our budget, but within a few thousand dollars, we were able to cover all of our expenses for this year, as well as have a tithe report that's over $1.1 million. That's incredible, especially in a year like we had in 2020. So I want to thank you um, just graciously for the amazing sacrificial giving that you expressed throughout 2020 and certainly through December and the end of the year. Thank you for that. And I'm so hopeful and grateful that you will continue that trend through 2021 because God has a lot of work for us to do. And it's so strange, right, to come out of a, come out of a um, year like we had and we have to begin to kind of rearrange, right? We have to rearrange how we think, how we do things. And, and I'm sure we've all had those times in our life when we need to think about things. And there are certain, certain pushes that are catalysts to push us to rearrange. Now, I want you to remember something. I worked on this sermon before anything that really happened this week. So if this resonates in a certain way, this is not a response to what is going on currently it is the prompting of God as I sat and wrote this sermon before this happened. So go be with us in the midst of this. So there's a few things that can become catalysts that push us to rearrange, moving to a new place. If you've ever done that, right, it's kind of an easy one, but sometimes we want to reinvent ourselves. Between my first and second year in college, my freshman and sophomore year, I decided to move from La Sierra University to Pacific Union College. And in the midst of that, I decided I didn't want to be seen as this guy who played on the basketball team and kind of team sports oriented and that sort of thing. I wanted to be seen as a musician. And so I went to a place where I knew hardly anyone in order to reinvent myself and rearrange the way people thought of me. So that's one way, moving to a new place. It's a simple one. A change in life status, right? Single to married, married to single, a death, a birth, these push us to change the way that we behave, that we respond, and that we react to things. As well, they create different value anchor points in our lives. Things like loss of income, influx of income, all of these situations make us look at our lives and say, how can I rearrange what is happening or what has happened in my life, what I value, what I see? How do I change that in order that I might live a better life that more expresses the things I really care about and value? Sometimes, you know what? It's just a desire for something different. Maybe you're just sick and tired of being tired tired of your job, tired of the way things are, and you know that you need to change, you're looking for new anchor points in which you can engage in the world. 
Because you are, you're looking for new anchor points in your life, right? You need a new map, a new set of things that can keep your eyes, that you can keep your eyes on in order to make sure you are heading or staying in the right direction. I've used these terms before. When you're surfing, you pick an anchor point on the beach and you see it. Ostriches have horrible, horrible memories, but they have phenomenal eyes and they can go a few miles away from their nest and never turn away. That's their anchor point. When you're hiking, you keep a peak or something specific in your eyesight so that you can continue to head it in the right direction. We all need anchor points in our lives, especially when things get difficult, when things get stormy, when, when we don't want to lose something precious, when things get confusing, we don't want to lose it. And so we need these points. And we know that those who have the ability to rearrange are the ones that not only survive, but the ones that thrive and even reach their value goals. How, how do I know this? I got a perfect example. I was reading one of those lists, you know, you get towards the end of the year and I, I happen to have it up in my, you know, when you leave a browser open for too long and you have too many tabs. Well, I went back to, to get them all, all done and I found one that I had left up for like a week. And it had an interesting point. It said, did you know that Samsung was founded in 1938 as a shop selling vegetables and dried fish? Do you think Samsung has had to rearrange? I got a Samsung TV. I got a Samsung refrigerator. I mean, I've got lots of Samsung stuff that I didn't know came from dried fish. So those who are able to rearrange their priorities, rearrange their workflows, rearrange the way that they see the world, man, those are the people who end up not just surviving, but thriving. And sometimes a simple change in leadership can be a catalyst to rearrange it all. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, this is where he's going. But this is actually the story of the, the children of Israel and their exodus. That's what I'm talking about. And we're talking about chapter one today. We're reading the story of Exodus in these seven weeks. And I know it's going to be kind of a Herculean task, right? It's a lot. But I hope you're going to do it with us. The reading starts off slow, one chapter a week, essentially, and then gets bigger and bigger towards the end because we really have to get through all these texts. So that's really important. So I hope that you get into the habit of following the study guide and reading the portions of scripture for every day. As well, I want to encourage any small group meetings you have via Zoom, however you do it safely, I want to encourage that because on that Sabbath, we have a kind of a a small group study guide for you that Patty McCoy up in Portland and Mike Rhinus here in Redlands have been writing to go along with this companion. So we really hope that you're able to engage in that. And if you don't have a small group, call up your friends, get on Zoom, whatever you need to do safely again, and um, check check it out and see if that's something you could do. But we want you to keep going along with us. And so we start with Exodus 1 verse 8. The first seven verses are important, but they're also pretty much context. And and this is where the story begins. This is the catalyst of where the story begins. It says essentially, eventually, not essentially, eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph and what he had done. Now, pharaohs were important, right? Pharaohs were kings, but they were also seen as gods. And what's interesting is that they would delete the complete knowledge of any previous 
Pharaoh, especially if they were not from within the same dynasty, they would delete it on every obelisk, every wall, everything they could. They would literally, literally, you know, use a, use a, I don't know what these are called, and the hammer, and they would get rid of, of any sculpture that had anything to do with the previous Pharaoh. Because they wanted to say, hey, I'm the only one that's important. I'm the only one. And of course, this is what happens when you surround yourself with sycophants, right? When you surround yourself with people who only tell you what you want to hear. You, you don't have the kind of respect and honor of what goes on before. And this is a problem for the children of Israel. Why is it a problem for the children of Israel? Because the deals that were made between Joseph and the Pharaoh were no longer going to be upheld. But in the midst of that, I want to ask you a question. What is your catalyst for searching for new anchor points in your life? New jobs, working from home, kids leaving the nest. What circumstances have changed that are forcing you to look at things differently? Man, it could even be that we're coming out of 220 and coming into 2021, 2020, 2021, and we're moving into hopefully what's going to be a little bit of a brighter year, although it doesn't feel like it today. And by the way, those changes, those rearranges, they're not always a bad thing. Even if a bad thing is a catalyst for change, sometimes that change is really important. Sometimes the need for change is wonderful. While the circumstances might not be, the changes that happen might redirect and rearrange our values in ways that can be an amazing blessing to you, to your family, to the people around you. Even if we think it is the worst thing that could ever have happened. Jumping back into the text, Exodus 1, 9. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. He was shrewd. And he was not above oppressing a people for his own ends. He was also afraid of the Israelites because they, at least in his mind, didn't belong there. They were different. They were not the same group of people. You know, the problem is that not knowing history often creates problems for us. The Pharaoh didn't know Joseph, so he had no allegiance to Joseph. He didn't have all the information or he had wrong information on which to make the decisions. He didn't know the bond between these two people that had actually grown and therefore he valued them less than he probably should have. We must make a plan, he says in Exodus 10, to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us. They will es- and then they will escape from the country. So he was creating a narrative to oppress, right? And that is what people always do. That is what we always do. We vilify others in order to be able to oppress or subdue them because what it does is it diminishes them. If we don't think other people are real people, then we don't have to treat them like real people anymore. And so this is what he does. He creates a narrative. By the way, you do that. I do that. We do that. How? Have you ever called somebody stupid? And I know this seems like a silly thing, right? And, and we're all guilty of it. I'm willing to admit that I've called people stupid before. It's not my finest moment. But, but when we do this to someone, we don't deal with them with respect anymore. We actually diminish their humanity in our own eyes and in our own hearts. Then this can easily become dangerous, but not just for them, for us, for our hearts and for our very souls. You see, rather than looking for ways to vilify people, we always need to continue to look for ways to show grace. In our frustration, our anger, our fear, We need to find the anchor point of grace from which to rearrange our hearts. We all have to have an organizing principle in our life. So the anchor point number one that we're talking about this week is simply grace. 
And grace means giving people the benefit of the doubt or being kind when they are wrong or make a mistake. It's about second and third chances. It's about the way that we interact. So I'll ask you this question today. How can you rearrange your life around grace? That's my question. How can you do that? How can you rearrange your life in order that other people may experience a greater bit of grace from you and for you? We'll jump back into the text because we're going to keep it moving today, certainly. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. So they were cohabitating before. They were engaged. Like we always think that the Israelites were just slaves. They weren't actually when they got there. They were living together. But they made them their slaves and they appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping that they would wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. Now things were not getting better. So... But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, which is fascinating, right? And the more alarmed the Egyptians became, often it is when we are most oppressed, when we are most pressed down or stressed that we thrive. Now, this is not necessarily a good way to live, but it does show some courage. And the Israelites were willing to take what they had to take and grow and and thrive through it. So Exodus 1.13, so the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. It's getting worse. They made their lives bitter, it says in verse 14, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in their demands. You see, because this, the Egyptian culture was a culture of creation and consumption. Walter Brueggemann, in his book, The Sabbath as Resistance, makes a powerful argument for the Egyptian economy versus a Sabbath economy. A Sabbath economy is about mercy and grace. A Sabbath economy is often about rest and giving back, while an Egyptian economy is about more and more and more. What can I take? And by the way, when you feel like you always need more, you definitely got to protect what you already have because nobody else should have it. That's when we become not just selfish people, but dangerous people. Because we have to fight for what we think is rightfully ours. What economy are you living under today? What are the principles around the economy of your life, your work? What do you need to endeavor to rearrange in your life? Are you taken by consumption and work to gain things? Are you driven by the constant press of more? As you rearrange your life, where do you place God? Because this is the question. You see, the children of Israel, what they had to do is they had to eventually, and you know this, I hope it's not a spoiler for you. I hope you know this story well enough to know that they will get out of Egypt. And if I just spoiled it for you, it's okay. You can go ahead and read ahead so you can catch up with the story. But As the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they had to rearrange their lives to a new situation. They had to rearrange their life to a new value system because they weren't living under somebody else anymore. They were now living under God's rule. And they had to figure out what that meant. The parallel to me, I think, should be quite clear. We are living in 2021 as we're coming out of 2020, which has been an oppressive year. 
And while we'll st- like, you know, while our numbers are still crazy high with COVID, and obviously what's going on right now in Washington, D.C. is breathtakingly unusual. My hope is that as we come out of this darkness, we take a moment, and throughout this series, I'm going to call it our Sinai moment, we take a moment to be in that desert. You know, the children of Israel were there for 40 years. Again, we'll get to that part of the story. But they needed 40 years to rearrange their values. They needed 40 years to rearrange what was important to them, to rearrange what they believed God was telling them to do. 40 years, man. I hope we can do it in 40 days. We're six days into this year as I preach this. What do you need to change in your life? What do you need to rearrange in order that 2021 might not be a year like 2020 for you personally? But how are you going to grow? How are you going to go deeper into your spirituality? How are you going to study scripture more than you have before? How are you going to become a greater and nicer person? How are you going to change the way you talk to your friends and your neighbors so that you are not adding to the noise that is happening in the world, but you are being a light in the midst of the darkness? How, is, how are you going to do that? How are you going to think about that? And I think we have this model of, these, of this nation coming out of Egypt and having to take a look at what it means to rearrange. Now, if you know the story, you know it's pretty hard. You know that it's pretty difficult. You know that God was not always happy with them, they were not always happy with God, and they were certainly not always happy with each other. (laughs) Sounds like us. So as we approach this story, we're gonna take a look at what it means to be in a Sinai moment and have God rearrange the principles in our life so that we come out a different group of people. That's what my hope is for these next seven weeks. But it all starts one place, right? It all starts with acknowledging some organizing principle. And that organizing principle, who, by the way, is personalized in Jesus, is this concept of grace. Grace that we've been given and grace that we give. Grace that we receive and grace that will be received from other people. But it may challenge you to live beyond yourself. It may challenge you to live differently than you have been living so far. It may challenge us to take what has been given to us over the last year and what we're dealing with right now and change the way we look at it. You may change your allegiances. You may think that you were headed in one direction and may go in a completely different direction. You know, the children of Israel, the children of Israel had to go through Sinai following a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, not sure where they were going. This may be your time. And that's okay. Because we're gonna do it together because we believe God convenes people, all different kinds of people, to learn and grow together towards a greater spiritual maturity. So you're gonna need to do a few things. You're gonna need to pray like you've never prayed before. And by the way, if you're not doing that in 2020 and 2021, I don't know who you've been paying attention to because you should be praying like crazy. We're gonna study scripture like we, well, like we always do, but we're gonna study scripture deeply to understand the rearranging principles that God is moving into our lives. And we are gonna be seeking ways that we can find community in greater and greater expressions of God's love. Now, my hope is that by the end of 2021, 2021, we are gonna be back fully in this room going for it. If that's not the case, we are still gonna be faithful to God. And like I said last week, we're still gonna find the songs that we're supposed to sing. 
So I'm excited for this journey and for the fact that you're coming along with us to rearrange those anchor points in our lives and live a life that is more in line with a promised land, which is where the children of Israel were headed. And we are too. As we come out of darkness, may we rejoice in the light that we see in Jesus. Let's bow our heads one more time. God of grace, and I mean that a lot, Lord, in the midst of the chaos that is happening right now in our country, I'm gonna pray that your presence, that it shines through, man. That a calm comes across the land because we know that you are truly a God who cares. And Lord, where we have lost our heads, give us wisdom. Where we have lost our courage, build it back in. Where we have lost our sense of mercy, Lord, grow that in us. And Lord, make our hearts sing with the grace of who you are. In your name I pray. In your name I pray. Amen.